Time for this week's podcast recommendation. Check out New Tech City from WNYC, hosted by my friend Manoush Zamarodi. If you feel like your life's affected by technology, but you're not exactly sure how or whether it's a good thing, New Tech City is for you. It's where digital gets personal. Get New Tech City wherever you get your podcasts or listen in the WNYC app. From WNYC, this is The Sporkful. Ladies and gentlemen, this upcoming up will be Philadelphia, Philadelphia's 30th Street. Please make sure you have all your personal belongings. Watch your step. Once again, this is Philadelphia. Please watch your step. So, John, one of the waitresses sent me over to you to talk to you because they said you come here every week to get Scrapple. Is that right? That's right. There's nothing more Philly than Scrapple and get it well done. Imagine now you're talking to someone who's never been to Philly, never had Scrapple. I want you to describe it to this person. Scrapples is a. <laughs> it's hard to describe. You got to taste it. It's better than bacon. Today on the Sporkful, I run around Philadelphia eating the city's most iconic foods scrapple, pork sandwiches, and of course, cheesesteak. And along the way, I'll talk to fellow eaters, you know, the kinds of people who say things like. And I said, I wasn't going home without this pork sandwich with the broccoli rob and the sharp provolone cheese. <laughs> and things like. My arteries might be hardening, but my stomach goes, thank you. Oh man, I totally need a t shirt that says that. Anyway, after I fill my face, I'll take samples of these foods back to Philly's Monell Chemical Census Center to learn about the science behind these decadent delights. Why do our brains go crazy for the melted cheese on a cheesesteak? What is it about the texture of Scrapple's crispy fried goodness? And how does surface area to volume ratio make the pork sandwich more delicious? Wrap this episode up in a paper bag and the grease will soak right through. Stay with us. This is The Sporkful. It's not for foodies, it's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. So, my producer Ann and I hopped on the train and headed down to Philly. On the ride, we talked strategy. You know, there's this whole system. There's a proper way to order a classic Philly cheesesteak with Cheese Whiz on it. Philly cheesesteak. Is that a classic Philly cheesesteak? That's probably. I mean, I think they we got to learn a little bit about the right way to order it, which is intimidating to me, but I think it's just Whiz. You just say Whiz, and then okay. they know. I gotta get o- I got to get over that. <laughs> Sounds so wrong. Yeah. If you want onions, you say wit. You say what? Like with, but as if you like have a thick Philly accent. Oh. So okay. it's just like if you want a cheesesteak with onions, with cheese whiz, you say whiz wit. And that's all you have to say, and they'll know. Wow. This is like a whole different language, it's like code. Yeah, aren't you taking Hindi? I am, yeah. That's not going to help you here. No, not one bit. <laughs> I, I think so we stepped off the train, two intrepid eaters trying to find our way in a foreign land. But cheesesteak was stop number three. First stop, Reading Terminal Market. It's like a sprawling indoor wonderland where you can get just about every type of food in Philadelphia all under one roof. We made our way to the down-home diner, which is basically an old-school diner plopped into a corner of this big market. It has a jukebox, shiny metallic finishes everywhere, cozy booths and a row of stools at a counter. And we went there to get just one food, Scrapple. I talked to a middle-aged woman named Susan who was in from Abington, PA. It's about 15 miles outside the city. Do you make Scrapple at home? Yeah, I do. Tell me how you make it. Comes in a bar. Oh, so you buy it like pre 
turn into a bar. Yeah. And then you like fry it up basically. Yeah, pretty much. And do you um, know what's in the bar, or is it better to not know? I I kind of know a little bit of what's in there because I did a when I was like in fourth grade they did it they took us to a meat packing plant couldn't eat hot dogs for a long time after that <laughs> but you know they kind of just said that everything that they don't put in the hot dogs goes in the scrapple so kind of <laughs> like I'm gonna try some scrapple do you want to try a taste of my scrapple you can tell me how it measures up sure all right all right cool all right I'm cutting in here enough suspense I'm gonna tell you what scrapple is. It's made of pork scraps and trimmings with fat, salt, buckwheat flour, and cornmeal. And it's all pureed together, so it's one consistency. There's no chunks of meat in it. It's shaped kind of like a thick slice of bread, and it sort of looks like if you took a block of stuffing and fried it. It's crispy on the outside and soft and creamy on the inside, almost like a pan-fried polenta, if you had polenta. Okay, back to the diner. It's crispy, but it's soft inside, which is the way I like it. It's sort of just like a block of fried salty fat. My, my arteries might be hardening, but my stomach goes, thank you. Next up was the Philly roast pork sandwich at Denix. It's not as well known around the country as the cheesesteak, but it may be just as popular in the city. It's thin sliced roast pork, provolone cheese, and broccoli rabe. Broccoli Rob is like a crunchy, stringy, kind of bitter member of the broccoli family. But the real key with this sandwich is that they pour the juice from the pork on top of the sandwich, and that soaks all up into the bread. All right, Philly roast pork sandwich from Denix. I'm going in. Wow. It's really good. I need to eat more. Yeah, I really like that bitter edge in the broccoli. I will say this sandwich does prove... My, the validity of my objection to all sandwiches on hinged buns. Okay. Because they take the hinged bread, they fill it from bottom to top, they go provolone, then pork, then broccoli rabe. Yeah. It's really hard. So they fill it in that V formation, then you kind of, if you can eat it in the V, you're not getting an ideal experience. If you turn it sideways, now the sandwich is left to right and you have broccoli rabe on one side and provolone on the other. It's very hard to get a bite with the broccoli rabe and the cheese all in the same bite without rearranging it. Are you, and are you eating the broccoli rabe out of the sandwich? Yes. <laughs> After we finished, we talked to some other eaters at Denix. What's your name? My name is Carolyn. And what's your name? Shamika. Shamika. Uh, how often do you guys come here? I come only two times a year during the holiday season because I, because I work actually in King of Pressure. So I'm down here shopping. I said I wasn't going home without this pork sandwich with the broccoli rabe and the sharp provolone cheese. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think makes the one here especially good? It's the best I ever had. Why? Because I love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you ever, you know one thing I was noticing because I just ate one is I love like over time it sits and the juice gets I into the bread. I love mine's wet. Do you and order I it think, extra wet? Yes. I just did. I can't <laughs> wait to bite it. Do you think it would make sense to order it with, like, extra juice on the side and you could dip it in? Oh. Well, no, Shamika says no. Why not? No, it's not the same. I like it nice, soaking, and wet. Can a Philly pork sandwich ever be too wet? No. No. I got to tell you, before I had one, I would have maybe disagreed with you. I would have said, but what if it starts to fall apart? What if the bread turns soggy? But now that I've had one, okay. I think you're right. It can't get too wet. <laughs> <laughs> you're right about that. <laughs> We 
We talked to one of the chefs at Denix. He said that if he's bringing home a pork sandwich for dinner, which I guess is one of the perks of the job, he'll actually make it at four in the afternoon. So it is time to get nice and saturated before he eats it around seven. Oh man, I want that life. Anyway, so we left there. We headed over to Sunny's in Old City for cheesesteaks. I started off talking to the manager, Christina. What do you think makes Sunny's cheesesteaks better than other cheesesteaks? Mm, it's definitely our ribeye meat, I would say. Our meat, you don't have to add anything, is also the bread. If you have fresh Italian bakery bread, you're good to go. And one of the things I noticed is that you guys warm the bread before you put the meat on it. Is that right? Uh, yes. It's, like it's getting toasted a little bit over there? Yeah. To me, that's so important because I don't like having a hot sam- when you sandwich. Sandwich on a cold bun. Exactly. I might as well just go get a cold cold cut sandwich then. Right. Exactly. That's right. And so I've- it's just everything just all blends in together with the cheese, the hot bread, the juicy meat. It's just a great sandwich. Then I talked to a guy there named Drew. He actually wasn't eating anything. He said he's going through a vegetarian phase. He was just keeping a friend company. But he had no shortage of opinions about cheesesteak. Which cheese do you go with? As an African-American male living in Philadelphia, I have to say American cheese is, <laughs> is the way to go. Well, it's funny because the cheese is a, is a big point of contention. I actually think this is a, is a great topic to bring up. Yeah, please tell me. With, with race relations, you know, sp- sparking all worldwide. Yeah, I'm going to sit down. <laughs> Let's talk. <laughs> Let's, <laughs> go on. Essentially, I, I believe that the white man has a, a predisposition towards cheese whiz. The, the African-American male, some reason, we can only eat American cheese, man. So, so you think that Philly cheesesteak preferences break down along racial lines? It, it, it's, it gets that serious. It gets that serious. Uh, I, I don't get the whole cheese whiz thing. I, I don't, don't understand it. why it was even started. What, what other thing do you put cheese whiz on? Like Besides, uh, really bad like nachos at a ballpark, maybe. And that's... That's gross, Asking too. Asking for a, you know, a, yeah. a two-hour bathroom trip. <laughs> <laughs> that, too. Yeah, I've had some bad nights. <laughs> Straight to the stomach. Are there any other cheesesteak preferences that you think are different among white folks and African-Americans? Hmm. Maybe the hot pepper thing. Green peppers, you know. I like to keep my things plain, you know. Drew, good luck with the vegetarian Sporks thing. Up, sporks up, Stoke. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I think I'm ready to order, Ann. And I think I have an idea. Do you want to practice your order before you get up to the moment of truth? All right, I'm going to say one whiz with, one American with, one provolone with. Okay, say that fast ten times. No, I'm kidding. I think I'm ready. I talk for a living. <laughs> Hi, how are you? Hi. I think I'm ready to order. Are you real? Yeah, could I please have one whiz with, one American with, Okay. and one provolone with? You got it. Pretty soon the cheesesteaks arrived, it was time to eat. See, and look, look here, so if people can picture this, these cheesesteaks have been served to us in those sort of paper boats. And with the American and provolone, the cheese is starting to cool and congeal a bit. With the cheese whiz, it's actually flowing downward and pooling. There's a little puddle of cheese whiz sauce, it's sort of like meat fat mixed with cheese whiz, pooling at the bottom of the boat. There's a big difference in consistency. This, this is going to sound bad. I think I like the whiz better. Why? Texture. It gets in the crannies and the nooks. It's, it's, there. it's like everywhere. Yeah, it's funny you're saying that because I came in here, I used to be totally against the whiz, and the provolone you would think is sort of like, it has the most flavor. But the, pro- the here's the thing with the provolone, tell me what you think of this, Anne. 
I feel like the provolone tastes more like a steak sandwich with cheese on it. Yeah, I agree. Because they're like two separate entities. Right. It doesn't taste like a cheese steak. And a cheese steak, is suppo- it's really more, you've got to think of it less as meat with cheese on top, more like a cheese sauce. The question is, why is Cheese Whiz so appealing to human taste buds and stomachs? I don't know. But I know someone who does. Oh, man, what a segue. we got some real radio professionals running this show. When I figure out who they are, I'll tell you. Uh, coming up, I'll take samples of Scrapple from the Down Home Diner, pork sandwich from Denix, and cheesesteak from Sonny's, and bring them to Philly's Monell Chemical Census Center. I'll ask a scientist why Cheese Whiz tastes so good on a cheesesteak, despite all rational arguments to the contrary. Stick around. Hey friends, I want to tell you about a great podcast here at WNYC called New Tech City. It's hosted by my friend Manoush Zamarodi. And recently Manoush did a fantastic series called Bored and Brilliant, all about how being bored is crucial to creativity. And thanks to our phones, we're just not bored enough anymore. It really inspired me to put down my phone and just stare into space. And I came up with so many great ideas for the sporkful. Stay tuned for those. So if you love your phone, but sometimes in a fatal attraction sort of way, New Tech City is for you. Get New Tech City wherever you get your podcasts or listen in the WNYC app. Welcome back to The Sporkful from WNYC. I'm Dan Pashman. You know, there are a lot of great ways for you to keep in touch with me all throughout the week. This podcast doesn't have to be the only time that we hang out, friends. You can follow me on Twitter, at The Sporkful. You can like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash sporkful. Or you can head over to sporkful.com where we have videos, blog posts, and lots of fun. That's also where you can get our newsletter. It's a great way to keep in touch. Again, that's sporkful.com. So I took all the foods we ate around Philly, and I brought samples to Dr. Marcy Pelshaw. She's an associate member and researcher at the Monell Chemical Census Center, and she's Philly, born and bred. But before we got to the scrapple and the cheesesteak... I had to ask her about a paper she wrote that caught my eye. Excretion and perception of a characteristic odor in urine after asparagus ingestion, a psychophysical and genetic study. I'll go ahead and translate the title. Asparagus pee, what's the deal? Okay. The deal <laughs> is some people notice a smell that's sometimes described as rotten cabbage, sometimes vegetable soup, but a change in the odor of their urine after they eat asparagus. So we did a study where people peed before the asparagus and after the asparagus. And then not not only did everyone donate pee, but then they came and smelled everybody else's pee. And we were able to show that some people are actually have a enhanced ability to detect this odor. And other people don't get it that much unless you point it out to them and then they kind of get it. But does everyone get asparagus pee when they eat asparagus? We think so. So I brought you some food. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Should we eat a little scrapple? Yes. So my first question for you, Marcy, is with scrapple, it seems to me that texture 
is such a huge part of it. It's it's crispy on the outside and it's soft, like like polenta. Exactly. In, in the middle. Right. What is it about crisp? What is it about that texture that makes us love it so? Well, there's been speculation by scientists. Um, one guy was interested in why people like ice cream so much. He came up with this idea of dynamic contrast. The idea is that people like textures that change while they're in your mouth. Ice cream would be something that you'd put in as a solid, it would melt. Or you can have a mixture of textures in each bite. And um, Scrapple is a perfect example of that. You can get the crunchy and the squishy together. That's why people like their cereal more when they first put it in the bowl and put the milk on. Yeah. But, but you know what I like to do sometimes with cereal is to put some in, pour a little milk in, let it sit for a, a couple minutes, and then put more cereal in, and then mix them together and eat it right away. Oh. And then you have dynamic contrast. Exactly. More dynamic contrast. Why didn't everybody else think of this? <laughs> Can I be an associate member at Monell now because of that idea? Hmm. <laughs> What else? Talk to me more about Scrapple and the the sensation of it. You know, the, the, it's like it just seems like a, a salt and fat delivery system. Yes, it is. What happens after you eat something like Scrapple is that it's a little. It's sort of rewarding. You're not necessarily aware of it. Like it, it activates the pleasure centers. Yes. So so after a meal, your brain sort of registers. Okay, I liked this. I didn't like that. Let's remember to go back to that thing again. But, like, after you eat a lot, like, after you, I don't know, let's say, run around Philadelphia eating cheesesteaks, pork sandwiches, and scrapple, like some people here just recently did, and you feel like you ate too much and you feel kind of tired and gross, why doesn't your brain remember that and stop you from doing that the next time? Well, adults have kind of learned to, to limit themselves, but it's now an intellectual limit. Really old, yeah, it's yes, a, it's a, you're, exactly. Right, it's, you're using your conscious brain to, to, to tell your right. subconscious brain to shut up. Yeah, but, it, but that's hard. Yes, it is. It, it is. Um, now, if you become nauseous, really nauseous, you may learn an aversion to one or more of the components of the, uh, the meal. Yeah, that happened to me with tequila at my senior prom. yeah. But did you stop drinking completely? No, but I couldn't drink tequila for years. Right. Like, even the smell of it made me nauseous. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, I did my dissertation on these flavor aversions, and they're very long-lasting because people can't get near enough to the food to try it again. If they can make themselves try it again, the aversion reverses very quickly. Uh, let's move on. Let's eat some. Uh, we, we have a bite of a Italian pork pork uh, sandwich for me. Yes. Now, now, one of the things that the guy at Denix told me, he said the sandwich is better when it sits for a, for a little while, when it gets all soggy like this. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I can see that. it's. This is a texture thing. You know, the crust is still a little bit crusty. Still a tiny bit crusty the in the outside. The bread has soaked up some of the flavor from the pork. Cutting the pork thinly is very important, and in a cheesesteak also. Why is know, that we, important on a texture level in terms of perception? It's it's almost like caviar, you know, all these little bits in every bite. 
Well, doesn't it also give you more flavor because there's more surface area of pork to land on your tongue? Excellent. Maybe you can be in, in a, <laughs> a member here All at right. Mono. Yes. I'm working. My, I'm, so I'm going to get the that, jacket and everything. <laughs> mm. Oh, my God. And, you know, so you have the texture of the broccoli, Rob, even though it's cooked. You know, a little little touch of bitter, the the salt, the fat, those little flakes of pork, not too much work chewing. Isn't that wonderful? And this gets yeah. to one of the bedrock issues that we talk about in the Sporkful, which is the debate between bite consistency and bite variety. Yeah. So, now, I don't, there's not always a right and a wrong. Some foods you want bite consistency. Some foods you want bite variety. Okay. One of the things that I think people who like bite variety argue for is that they say they kind of like a surprise. Mm-hmm. Or they like that differentiation. They like, oh, that was a bite with a lot of cheese. What can you tell me about the kind of person who is more likely to prefer that eating experience? I actually have some ideas about that. Yes, please. Um, again, you know, people differ in, in how much they like new foods. And people who don't like new foods worry a lot about getting surprised. There are other people for whom, you know, oh, let's go to dim sum. And That's just, the but, best thing ever. And they like right? to bite into a dumpling not knowing what they're about to get. Right. And, and, and where do those differences come from? Is, it, is that because of the way that we were raised or is, is it partly in our DNA? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it comes from both. Let's move on to cheesesteaks. <laughs> yes. What kind of cheese do you put on your cheesesteak? I like a mild provolone. My father grew up in South Philly on 4th Street, right, you know, near Jim Steaks, which is one of the, I don't know if it was there when he was a kid. But anyway, um, he grew up in South Philly, and he never did cheese whiz, but that is the, the Philadelphia standard these days. Marcy, I want you to try a bite with a cheese whiz. Okay, the cheese was just sort of like gravy. I got to tell you, so Anne and I mm-hmm. went to get the cheesesteaks after having eaten Scrapple and the Philly pork sandwich. <laughs> and, and neither one of us was especially hungry. And neither of us was expecting to especially like the cheese whiz one. Yeah. Cheese whiz is kind of gross. But we both came away from it liking the cheese whiz the best. And I think what, what helped us is that we thought of it in a different way. When you do it with provolone, it's like a steak sandwich with cheese melted on it. Yeah. When you is... do it with cheese whiz, it's a cheese steak. The cheese and the steak become one. It's really more like a sauce. I, I can see your point, yes. Why is cheese so much more delicious when it's melted? Well, anything warm releases more aroma than when it's cold. And you get much more flavor from the cheese. I also think that melted cheese sort of, I don't know, somehow the fat becomes more well, The oil obvious. comes to the surface. Right. The oils yes. of the cheese come to the surface. Yeah, and, and what about something like cheese with something that's just like totally or almost completely artificial? That wouldn't appear to be evolutionary, and we didn't evolve to love, those, you know, there was no cheese whiz in caveman days. No, no. So why do we love cheese whiz? Salt and fat. 
you know, why do we love Nutella? Sugar and fat. Sugar, right. You know, and chocolate. <laughs> All right, well, Marcy Pellishot, associate member and researcher at the Monell Chemical Senses Center, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. You can keep that cheesesteak. Thank you. <laughs> I got a level with the eaters. By the time we were finished recording this episode, I felt pretty full and really gross. But after listening back to it all, I am starving. Next week on the show, we'll discuss napkins and hand sanitation. I'll talk to the man behind the Moist Towelettes Museum. Yes, there is a Moist Towelettes Museum. Uh, you know, we've got a, a wing of the museum here, a shelf really, uh, that is uh, uh, features some of the ones from different restaurants. Uh, I've got some for all kinds of different purposes. Like I have one here I'm looking at that's called a Radica Wash that says to wipe away radioactive contamination. Follow me on Twitter at The Sporkful. This show is a production of WNYC and The Sporkful. It's produced by Ann Sani. Our web writers are Talia Ralph and Alay Trong. Special thanks to Chris Bannon. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman reminding you to eat more, eat better, and eat more better. My, my arteries might be hardening, but my stomach goes, thank you.